0: Hey everyone, I like to imagine James Bond eventually got married, raised a family of kids, and was cut out of their lives for the racism and drinking, and because he kept making a pass at their college friends. Anyway, today is our roast of Goldfinger by (laughs) Ian Fleming, who would have embarrassed his own kids if he hadn't drunk and smoked himself to an early death on his son's 12th birthday. Let's do this.
1: (laughs) I'm Kellen Erskine, I'm a comic, a father... And not so much a James Bond
0: fan, more just a curious observer. (laughs) Calling yourself a curious observer is definitely what you would say after you've been caught doing something very bad. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm David Vance. My favorite response to Goldfinger is the article asking if you can really die of skin suffocation. The first line is, no, we do not breathe through our skin. (laughs) Goldfinger is a classic minimalist book in that the protagonist does basically nothing except get a woman killed, get captured, get another woman killed, get rescued. 007 is the percentage of actual work done by him.
1: (laughs) And this is The Book Pile. It's crazy that moment in the book when that woman is describing to him that Goldfinger usually paints women everywhere except for along their spine so that their skin can still breathe a little bit and they won't die. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, what what do you think happens when you go swimming? (laughs) Your head's above water, but the rest of your body's like, I can't breathe! (laughs)
0: Yeah, the skin suffocation thing was definitely told to Goldfinger by one of his captives. Like, <laughs> I hope you don't kill me by skin suffocation. <laughs> Paint me in gold and then put me out back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Ian Fleming was definitely one of those parents who taught their kids that they can't go to bed with their socks on. <laughs>
0: Don't you know? (laughs) Your skin has tiny lungs all over in it. (laughs) All right. Today we're doing a James Bond special where if you rate and review the book pile, we'll come hit on you even if you say you're not interested in men. (laughs) All right. D. Period 144 says
1: the funniest book podcast out there. D. Period 144
0: is Dave's nickname. So thank you very much. Finally our next two books are The Storyteller and Skeleton Crew by Stephen King and that episode will be half a roast kind of like that real tombstone that says Sarah Hanna poet philosopher and failure <laughs>
1: <laughs> Is that a real one
0: That's a real tombstone That's
1: amazing <laughs> Oh so it's such a great story whether she requested <laughs> it or her husband <laughs> All right, and without further ado, here is our roast of Goldfinger in four lessons. All right, lesson one, don't write a racist, sexist book, or it'll turn into 25 movies.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That'll show him. (laughs)
1: That is pretty much what happened. I mean, it didn't work with Of Mice and Men, but it is crazy to me (laughs) that any of this happened. Yeah. And it is crazy, too, because in every writing book or article you'll ever read, they'll say, like, just speak your truth. But sometimes you're like... (laughs) Maybe not if this is what this author <laughs> thinks is true. Not like that. Maybe, maybe it's okay to lie if what <laughs> you really think is that men are better than women.
0: I saw people online, too, who were like, you know, he was a product of his time. And it's like, this came out four years before the I Have a Dream speech. <laughs> I guarantee you, he knew people who were like, oh, no, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: with the sexist stuff some of it is so crazy that it's like funny in such an embarrassing way not so much the demeaning stuff but like speaking as if the entire world agrees with him (laughs) because he's like describing this one woman he says She was the kind who leaves her beauty alone. She had made no attempt to put her hair into place, and as a result, looked as girls' hair should look, (laughs) untidy with bits that strayed. And it's like, no, that's just what you like. (laughs) But it's so insane to be
0: like, finally, a woman whose hair is right. (laughs) Anyway, you know how real men are always smoking and drinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that.
1: Something it seems like I'm learning from about his villains is that everything about the villain, everything that they do, is a wrong thing. Like it's it's very obvious that because this villain employs Asian people and lesbians, that he is a bad person. Oh my gosh. And no, I mean, I'm not trying to make a joke. Oh, no, I know. I, I know what you're saying. But this is something that recurs in the Bond novels. And the other part is the the whole monologue that Goldfinger gives about how disgusting smoking is. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> but you could tell that Ian Fleming was like, what a square this bad guy is, right, everyone? <laughs>
0: Yeah, you don't have to do a lot of work to make Goldfinger a good guy. (laughs) He's offering jobs to marginalized groups. He treats ex-employees fairly by covering them in gold and setting them free. (laughs) He invests in minerals. (laughs) He's providing gold to an underserved Indian market.
1: (laughs) Um, Right after Tilly meets Bond for the first time... He says, she gave him that look that said, you're very attractive, but I just don't have the time. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) I wish I had the confidence (laughs) to assume that any expression expressed that to me. (laughs) Oh man, and the last one, (laughs) the last one is almost like, a sexist Easter egg, but it's the fact that when Bond is on this table with the circular saw, it's supposed to be like physical and psychological torture to break him into divulging information. Mm-hmm. Goldfinger goes up to him and mentions to him everything that Masterton had revealed under hypnosis. So it's like, you know, you know how you could hypnotize women and they'll tell you
0: anything, but dudes. Because their smaller eyes spin easier.
1: You know how women are attracted by shiny things? They just follow that little pocket watch as I swung it back and forth. But Bond is like, Bond's a man, so... (laughs) Mind games don't work on him. He needs this table saw that's making its way toward the most important part of anyone's anatomy.
0: (laughs) And once that's cut off, we can just hypnotize him. (laughs) (laughs) All right, lesson two make a protagonist we can admire. So whenever the main character in a book is awful, I always wonder if the author knows they're awful. Like, (laughs) Edward is a terrible person. You would never want this controlling, abusive pedophile dating your daughter. But Stephanie Meyer clearly thinks he's just great. (laughs) (laughs) So reading this book, I think Ian Fleming thinks James Bond is a great guy. (laughs) But look at the breakdown. Look at Bond and Women. The most on-brand moment is when James Bond thinks he's died and gone to heaven, and his first thought is to wonder which of his dead exes he's allowed to sleep with in heaven. <laughs> also, the, the number of Bond girls that get immediately murdered, it's pretty selfish that he keeps dating.
1: <laughs> yeah, usually in the movies, after like one or two, the hero is like, I can't get close to anyone anymore. I only hurt them. (laughs) Uh And Bond's just like rubbing his hands together like, all right, who's next?
0: (laughs) He has a thing for three women in this book. Two die and one goes to prison.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's like, well, I'm sort of improving. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, when you're saying that You think Ian Fleming thinks that this guy is so cool? I think it's even more pathetic than that. I think it's that Ian Fleming is like, James Bond is who every guy wants to be. (laughs) (laughs) At one point, for no reason... Before playing golf, he mentions that James Bond goes to the snack bar, gets a ham sandwich with plenty of mustard, of course.
0: (laughs) A real man sandwich. (laughs) It's so funny to me that Ian Fleming's whole shtick was, you know, he was a spy. And he wrote these books that say, when you are a spy, you are suave and debonair and women just fall into your lap. And then in his Wikipedia photo, he looks like the penguin. <laughs> He's gritting his teeth on a cigarette holder and he looks so tweety. <laughs> One of my biggest
1: questions for Ian Fleming is that like, with this spy background, how does he go from that to... Okay, usually spies are supposed to be covert, but what if he was, like, really sexy? (laughs) Then then he would just tell everyone his real name, and he would never
0: put on a disguise. (laughs) Drive the most memorable cars you can imagine. (laughs) Try to make an impression on any and every woman. (laughs) On that Ian Fleming subject, there's a line in the book that says... Colonel Smithers looked exactly like someone who would be called Colonel Smithers. And it's like, bro, you look like Colonel Smithers. (laughs) (laughs) I also learned about Ian Fleming that apparently he and his wife had a ton of affairs. So I guess write what you know. (laughs) (laughs) On Bond and women, there's a moment in the last Bond movie... So I'm sure you know that basically every Bond movie, there's a woman he gets with at the beginning and then never sees again. Mm. And in this one, he sees Ana de Armas, and she's clearly supposed to be that woman. Like, she's shot kind of like an object, and she comes across very ditzy. Anyway, she ends up pulling out guns and saving his life, and it's this big moment of defying what a Bond girl is. And what's funny is the conventions they're defying are the ones they made. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, see, women aren't objects, even though they were the ones who objectified them. Like, who are you talking to? (laughs) You don't get points for flouting conventions you made. It'd be like O.J. cornering you with a knife and then being like, some people would have murdered you here. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) that's just Bond and women. But there's so many other things. James Bond fought in World War II. But you get the sense in this book that uh, he and Hitler agreed on a lot. (laughs) Also, his big mission in this book that you're supposed to be rooting for is the British government wants to stop India from buying gold. (laughs) Because you know how Britain's always been nice to India. Anyway, another thing. (laughs) One last line from the book. Bond hated inoculations. Of course he does. (laughs) (laughs)
1: All right. Lesson three. If you have a gift for coincidences, apply to the secret (laughs) service. So there are so many, like, well, it just so happens sort of moments in this story, Uh including, though we don't know it yet, the entire first sequence where James Bond solves the mystery of how Goldfinger is cheating at cards at these poolside games, which, by the way... (laughs) <laughs> crazy that goldfinger tells everyone at this resort oh i can only play cards outside because i have agoraphobia but he has a room at the resort he's not like sleeping outside it's like oh, only when i play cards that's when I, that's when i really have to be out here
0: it's only when i'm cheating i mean playing <laughs> So then
1: in the next chapter Bond goes back to MI6 the next day and M is like, "Hey Bond, here's who we need to go after, but first a riddle. Who is the richest person in England?" It's Goldfinger. <laughs> and then and then Bond is like, "That is so crazy. I just <laughs> met that guy yesterday." <laughs> And that's it. That's just what happens. And we're supposed to move on from it.
0: And the way he explains away that coincidence is Bond thinks it was a big coincidence. And coincidences happened all the time when you're a spy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it says,
1: specifically,
0: <laughs> here
1: was Bond, launched against this man by a series of flukes. Bond smiled grimly. How often in his profession had it been the same? The tiny acorn <laughs> of coincidence that sawed into to the mighty oak and whose branches darkened the sky. It's like Ian Fleming Might as well just followed it with, this sort of thing is going to happen a lot. (laughs)
0: you know what it reminds me of and this is a game of thrones spoiler so if you plan on watching all of game of thrones skip ahead like 30 seconds in the second to last game of thrones episode they need one of the biggest characters daenerys to do something huge that they have not justified at all (laughs) and so they try to justify it in the previously they have it previously and then they try to slam down your throat every clue they think they planted about what's about to happen <laughs> another part happens
1: in in the films what is probably the most iconic scene in all of Bond where Sean Connery is strapped to a table and there's a laser that's making its way between his legs uh, and in the book, it's a circular saw, and uh, Bond is he's like scared he's gonna die. He's not cool as a cucumber like Connery. Uh-huh. But instead of doing anything cool to like ingeniously get himself out of the situation, he just sort of blacks out <laughs> and then wakes up later to Goldfinger, who's like, Well, I was thinking about it, and uh, it just so happens <laughs> that I need your help on this job coming up. <laughs>
0: Bond and Masterson both try to murder Goldfinger, and Goldfinger, instead of killing them, turns around and asks them to help out with his heist. (laughs) And when that goes wrong, he's like, I shouldn't have done that. (laughs) (laughs) I love
1: it, too, that he's really generous about it. He says to Bond, once we're done with this crime, you get a million pounds, and your lady friend gets half a million, because, you know...
0: (laughs) And Bond is like, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) But my favorite
1: coincidence in the whole book uh, is when Bond is sort of lurking around uh, one of Goldfinger's houses and he happens to... uh, open a cabinet that has cameras and like open film reel going to show that he's like been secretly recording the whole time and then bond's like oh no now goldfingers are gonna know that i'm on to him how do i cover this up and then it literally says a meow came from inside the room (laughs) and there just happens to be this cat (laughs) <laughs> and so he takes the cat, and he's like, okay, cool, I'll just put a cat in the middle of all this film stuff, <laughs> and he'll think the cat did it. <laughs> <laughs> Regarding the film, Bond is finally flying home on this private plane, but it turns out Goldfinger is the pilot of the aircraft, and he comes through (laughs) with this golden gun. James Bond doesn't even overpower him. He's just sort of awkwardly fighting him, and Goldfinger accidentally shoots a window in the plane, and James Bond holds onto something, and Goldfinger gets sucked out of the window. (laughs) (laughs)
0: seriously he's so inconsequential in the plot that it's almost like this is the sixth sense and they have to hide that he's dead the whole time (laughs) (laughs) all right lesson four to write a good thriller describe a golf game shot for shot (laughs) so casino royale is about a high stakes poker match goldfinger gets the ball rolling with a high stakes golf match (laughs) and as the chapter went along i just couldn't believe it There's no witty banter. They don't talk politics or their ideologies. It just describes a full game of golf. (laughs) It'll be like, James Bond used a nine iron and chipped it onto the green, and Goldfinger used a nine iron and chipped it a little better, and Goldfinger cheated a little bit, but not in a way that's fun or exciting to imagine. (laughs)
1: For everyone listening, Dave is not exaggerating. It is like 45 pages of literally that. And then he hit it behind a tree. And boy, was he mad about that. And so then he really wanted to do well on this hole. And then he hit it again. And he got a little closer. And it's like, yeah, I know how golf works. (laughs) All right, random facts. So I don't know if Bond's catchphrase, if it comes out in one of the later books, or if it if that was an invention from the movies, but if they were going directly from this book, it would have had such a terrible one. Because at the beginning of the book, when Bond first meets Goldfinger, Goldfinger mispronounces his last name and Bond goes, It's Bond. B-O-N-D. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so he has this line about how short men cause all the trouble in the world because they're insecure (laughs) and he said you know hitler was short and it's like ah yes i think hitler did those things because he was sad he wasn't taller (laughs) also i looked it up hitler was an inch shorter than daniel craig (laughs) So Oddjob is this incredibly deadly killer, and Bond is like, how did he get that strong? And Goldfinger says, he's one of only three people in the world who have what is called a black belt in karate. (laughs) I'm like, okay, who's the third person? Because my girlfriend got one when she was six. (laughs)
1: I also love, too, that at the beginning of the book, James Bond is actually writing a book about all the deadliest fighting styles, and he's doing heavy (laughs) research on it. And then halfway through the book, when this conversation happens, Goldfinger is like, have you ever heard of karate? No?
0: Well, let me tell you, it's this thing. (laughs) Also, if someone ever tells me that their hands are registered as deadly weapons, I want to say, "Oh, interesting. My deadly weapons are registered as hands." <laughs>
1: <laughs> I like to that at one point Bond tries to be really clever, but it just isn't good. with all the james bond movies you've ever seen like his lines never fall flat they might be corny but he always has the perfect thing to say Mm -hmm. but (laughs) but at this point in the book goldfinger says yes my henchman here the black belt he knows the seven deadly places where he can hit you instant kill (laughs) and james bond blows out some cigarette smoke and he goes interesting I only know
0: five of them. (laughs) Classic comeback. (laughs) My friend Brian growing up always thought it was funny to one down someone. (laughs) 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 They tell you something cool and you tell them something just slightly less cool.
1: (laughs) So with all of this, I will say that uh, Ian Fleming is good at the skill of writing.
0: Which doesn't that make it kind of worse? <laughs> it does.
1: Yeah, like I was I was expecting it to read as pulp fiction, but he's actually like a seasoned, he's got literary abilities. It is just a shame <laughs> that he used them to write a book about golf, gold and toilet messages. Because <laughs> here are like here are a few of my like legit favorite lines from the book. Uh, when describing this, this sort of douchebag character, he calls him, quote, a wolf in Brooks Brothers' clothes. <laughs> 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 There's a pretty pretty cool sinister part where the villain says, if you traveled the world, you'd find the relics of those who opposed me. Mm. It's just such a great haunting line.
0: That's what I say anytime I'm about to serve in ping pong. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Speaking of Goldfinger, it's so it's so dumb. I can't believe that Ian Fleming was a spy, because when, <laughs> when James Bond, when he comes across Goldfinger again on purpose, but trying not to seem like it, he pretends not to remember the most memorable surname in history. <laughs> This is this guy's (laughs) real last name, and it is the most made-up real last (laughs) name ever. But Bond goes up to him, and he's like, oh, yeah, hey, man, uh, uh, Goldman? Oh, Goldfinger, that's it.
0: (laughs) And it's like... Goldfinger Sacks? (laughs) (laughs) It's
1: like if someone told you that their last name was (laughs)
0: Coppernips... with you. There's no way. It would be the biggest struggle to maintain their eye line as they said that. <laughs>
1: I mean that right now is now whether you like it or not, branded in your brain forever. There's no way you would go back up to that person the next day and be like, "Hey, silver toes? Is that Am I am I close?" So, so much of this book is is written nicely.
0: It's a well-written bad book.
1: Right. (laughs) There were definitely, you know, peaks and valleys to it, but for much of it, especially having like Hugh Bonneville as the voice actor on the Audible version, it was like having the dad from Downton Abbey read me a bedtime story.
0: (laughs) I can't not picture now Lord Grantham rocking you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So parts of it would be nice uh, because he does have like a pleasant voice. But then he would read one of Bond's thoughts. And this is a direct quote where he said, Goldfinger. You'd think he'd be Jewish with the name, and you're just like Oh my god!" Oh could you Lord Grantham? Could you just read me Goodnight Mooden instead?
0: <laughs> so toward the end, they were getting near the bank heist, and I looked at the time left and I was like, man, time's running down. They're not going to be able to resolve this in time. And then they don't, and Bond just gets rescued. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, this this book should have just been called 007,
0: A Fly on the Wall. <laughs> license to sit politely and watch. <laughs> oh, that sounds like a way worse movie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> sounds like Twilight.
0: <laughs> <laughs> she never gave him license. <laughs> All right, to recap, our favorite lessons from Goldfinger. One, don't write a racist, sexist book or it'll turn into 25 movies. Two, make a protagonist we can admire. Three, if you have a gift for coincidences, apply to the Secret Service. Four, to write a good thriller, describe a golf game shot for shot.
1: And five, just remember, if you put in the work, you could become the world's fourth black belt.